well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you've joined us on the program today. It is the last show before Halloween, you know. We don't do a show on Friday, so I, I did. I'm not in costume, clearly. But, uh, you know, I am I celebrating the season a little bit. I got. I think I got to raise up my shirt here and lift up the beard. So uh, we've got, I got to unzip just a little bit. Nothing, nothing horrible here. Don't worry about it. There you go. We've got uh, Abe Kruger today, combining my love of horror movies and my love of history. Anyway, glad that you're with us on the program. Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin case because oral arguments are coming up next week at the Supreme Court. And we are in the midst of just an onslaught of misinformation and anti-gun propaganda. And it's going to continue, I think, from now until probably next Friday or so. I think we've got a couple of days post-oral arguments, so we're going to have to be dealing with a lot of this uh, nonsense, too. Uh, ABC News is in the midst of a big series right now. I think it's like Gun Violence in America is what it's called. And it's basically, have you heard how awful these guns are? Well, what about how awful these guns are over here? I mean, it's it's bad. Uh, I've written a couple of pieces about it. Tom Knighton's written a couple of pieces about it at Bearing Arms. CBS, meanwhile, has a documentary that's uh, set to debut on Halloween night. Uh, it is called The New Pro-Gun Generation. It's about 23 and a half minutes long. And CBS News has written a, a story based on this documentary of theirs called For Black and Latino Gun Owners, Being Armed Evens the Playing Field. And I have to say, I haven't watched this whole documentary yet. I will at some point over the weekend. But I was um, somewhat surprised at the generally positive tone that CBS News took talking about black and Latino gun owners. I, but I also can't help but think that part of the reason why there was such a positive uh, approach to these new gun owners is because of their politics. Here's how the CBS News story starts. P.B. Gomez is a 23-year-old law student at the UC Berkeley School of Law interested in urban environmental justice policy. He's also the founder of the Latino Rifle Association, a politically progressive organization for Latino gun owners with left-leaning values who want to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Gun culture in the United States, he says, is largely toxic, and it's not welcoming. And he believes that gun rights are for everyone. I don't believe self-defense, which is fundamentally about bodily autonomy, should be exclusive to people on the right politically. Well, here's the thing. I'm on the right politically. I agree with P.B. Gomez. Self-defense is a human right, and the right to keep and bear arms is a right of the people. Now, I'm also really sorry that uh, Mr. Gomez feels like gun culture is toxic. I don't know who he has gone shooting with. But I've actually, I, I believe the Second Amendment community is by and large. I mean, look, there's some jackasses there, but uh, there's jackasses in every group. But I believe that by and large, the Second Amendment community is actually really open and really welcoming to gun owners of all political persuasions, of all backgrounds. Because I think the vast majority of gun owners understand, again, we're talking about a right of the people, not a right of the people who agree with me or who look like me, or who vote like me, but a right of the people, including those people who I disagree with 100% of the time. They still have a right to keep and bear arms because they're still a people, right? Anyway, uh, the uh, CBS News story continues. The Latino Rifle Association website states that membership is open to all racial groups so long as its mission and rules are respected. Since its formation in 2020, the LRA has attracted several hundred members across the U.S. 
Gomez explained, our biggest supporters have actually been leftists, have been socialists, progressives. You sort of have to have a distrust of authority. Yeah, we don't have any of that on the right. Uh, the police and the government aren't taking care of me, so I have to do things on my own. Again, I would say that that is an attitude that is not just found on the left side of the aisle. So I'm not sure why CBS presents it in such a favorable light when it's coming from the left, when if a person, a conservative, were to say the exact same thing, they would be called an anti-government extremist, right? Again, I think this is a positive story for gun owners, but the political bias of the reporters, I believe, shines through here. Uh, and I think that there's almost this attitude, and not even almost, I think there is an attitude of, I like the Second Amendment better when it's people I agree with who are holding guns. I mean, that's the, that's the tone to me that comes through this entire story. Uh, you know, yeah, I don't really like the Second Amendment, but it's, uh, it's better when it's people on the left who are caring. Uh, Gomez, according to CBS News, sees gun regulations specifically impacting communities of color by increasing the potential for unfavorable interactions with police. He said anytime you're giving additional laws to a force, additional felonies on the book, it's going to impact communities of color the hardest. I would agree. Again, I would agree. And I'm not a socialist. I don't even think I'm a progressive. But I agree completely with that. As a matter of fact, I've seen people across the political spectrum make that very same argument in the New York Kerry case. Uh, amicus briefs pointing out the history, uh, the racist history of the gun control movement, as well as the disproportionate impact that these gun laws have had on primarily young black men. Uh, and again, I'm not a progressive, but we've talked a lot about this. We've talked about the public defender's brief in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. We've talked about the Jim Crow era pistol purchase permit law on the books in North Carolina and how to, even today, black applicants are three times, almost three times as likely to be denied their ability to purchase a handgun as opposed to white applicants. And by the way, we haven't said that's a good thing. We've said that's an egregious violation of their constitutional rights. Uh, Gomez uh, was also uh, joined by one of his fellow Latino Rifle Association members, Jackie Garcia, who spoke with uh, CBS News. She said that she decided to start carrying a gun last year, saying that uh, she and her wife, Talia, recently moved to a more diverse suburb of Dallas, but they uh, still feel the impact of bias. She says, my wife notices the stairs more than I do. And she said it was the tension surrounding last year's elections that prompted her to train and purchase a firearm. She said it was very nerve-wracking. All that pressure was building up, made me a little nervous for sure. Today, she carries a farm wherever she's out of the house. She said, quote, I'm a very peaceful person, but if people won't let me walk away, I will defend myself. And again, I've, I think that is a statement that doesn't apply only to gun owners on the left or gun owners on the right, or I guess in your case, gun owners on the left, gun owners on the right. It applies to gun owners. Self-defense is a human right. And again, I don't, I don't know any conservative gun owner who would hear what uh, um, Jackie Garcia had to say there about, if you won't let me walk away, I've got the right to defend myself and disagree with that. Now, CBS News also spoke with the founder of a uh, Austin, Texas uh, gun club called the uh, Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club, which is named after a uh, Black, Par Black Panther party member who was uh, in prison for 27 years before his murder conviction was overturned. Uh, Nick Bezel is the Army veteran who founded the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Gun Club. And he said, quote, everybody's entitled to self-preservation. I don't care who it is. I don't advocate violence, but I do advocate self-defense. Again, another statement 
presented without any dispute or dismay by CBS News that could very easily have come out of the mouth of a conservative gun owner. And I believe that if it had come out of the mouth of a conservative gun owner, CBS would have found somebody to call that person an anti-gun extremist or an anti-government extremist, perhaps even an insurrectionist. But again, when it's coming from the left, it's okay, according to CBS News. Uh, Back in May, Bezel and several other groups organized hundreds of black gun owners around the country for an armed march in Tulsa, Oklahoma, on the centennial of the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. Uh, There was a smaller march in Oklahoma City around that same time as well. And both of these marches went off without a hiss. There were no issues. There were no problems. But you had hundreds of black gun owners who were marching through these streets, openly carrying firearms. And uh, CBS News talked to Adam Winkler, uh, who is a a UCLA professor. He's a pro-gun control guy, but uh, I think his academic position gives him this sort of veneer of impartiality. No. Winkler told CBS News that the uh, armed march was a, quote, powerful display of support for the idea that black Americans need to defend themselves, that they can't rely on the white government to really protect them or the police force. Now, again, that may very well be the case, but you can also present a colorblind argument making that very same point. Instead of the idea that black Americans need to defend themselves because they can't rely on the white government to really protect them or the police force, is it not also true to say that Americans need to defend themselves because they can't rely on the government to really protect them or the police force? I I think that's actually a much more accurate statement. Because I don't think the, the racial makeup of a particular city government or a state government or even a federal government has anything to do with the government's inability to protect you and your family from all acts of harm. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri, for example. I mean, you've got a black mayor. You've got, I believe, a black majority city council. You've got a uh, black circuit attorney. And earlier this week, there was a St. Louis woman who had a guy break into her house. And she had to, like, negotiate with him because she couldn't get 911 to answer the phone. She's calling 911 for like eight minutes before somebody even answered the phone as somebody's in her house. Now, I don't think that's the fault of a black majority government any more than I would think it would be the fault of a white majority government if there was a white majority government in St. Louis. That's the fault of government incompetence. And it is a very, very sobering reminder of the fact that no matter how well government is functioning, police can't get to you right away. They don't have transporters. When somebody's breaking into your home in the middle of the night, it's got to be up to you to protect yourself and the people that you love. And again, that is, that's something that I believe every American should be aware of and should think about. But anyway, uh, besides Winkler's, you know, weird insertion of race in this statement, which is you know, I think something that uh, Winkler may have just been responding to CBS with. He also uh, then switched, right? So it's very powerful to see these black gun owners marching through the streets. But, he said, there's always a but from the gun control activist. But, he said, he's concerned that too many groups are taking up arms and openly carrying them to air grievances. He said, it's probably destructive of political debate and the kind of community that we need to move forward on the major issues that confront America. Why well, disagree? I actually think that seeing people on the left, increasingly embrace their right to keep and bear arms 
has the potential to bring us closer together. Because as I say, I do believe that, quote unquote, gun culture is actually a pretty welcoming place. Um, as long as you don't come in there and try to convince everybody to think like you and to speak like you and to act like you, as long as you're willing to, to accept people for who they are, including the fact that they are gun owners, I think that the Second Amendment has the potential to bridge a lot of the divides that we have in this country. I, I can tell you, I have been exposed to and I have spoken to and I have gained friendships and, and close personal relationships with people who I never would have met were it not for our common ground on the Second Amendment. People who I disagree with politically, but who are who I love personally. I know plenty of people like that in the Second Amendment community. And I also believe that the Second Amendment community is big enough for groups like the Latino Rifle Association, for, 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 for activist groups on the left. In fact, I, I think that they could provide a valuable service, but I, I would say that at some point, and I don't think the CBS News story really gets into this, but at some point we need to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is that the Democratic Party, by and large, is vociferously anti-gun. Hopefully, groups like the Latino Rifle Association or the Socialist Rifle Association um, can, can change that, but... I, I I don't think we can ignore the fact that, for the most part, the Democratic Party uh, is ignoring these gun owners on the left and may actually see them as the problem, even if the media is more inclined to give progressive gun owners a pass and maybe even promotion uh, than they are those conservatives who embrace and work to strengthen and secure the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, anyway, I like I said, I'm going to check this out. I I have a problem with the tone of the documentary from CBS. Again, I think that there's a little bit of a, a political double standard at work. But setting that aside and looking at this from a purely Second Amendment activism perspective, I think that this is probably a net positive. Because it does tell people across the country, hey, you know what? You don't need to look like Cam to exercise your Second Amendment rights. You don't have to be some middle-aged white guy with a beard and a ball cap to uh, own a gun. You can be gay. You can be a lesbian. You can be a Hispanic American. You can be a black American. You can be a black lesbian woman. And it's still your right. Because it's a right of the people to keep and bear arms that shall not be infringed. And as long as we're getting that message out, then I think we're moving the ball forward when it comes to protecting and securing our individual right to keep and bear arms. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our uh, good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We're going to start there uh, with a story out of Madison, Wisconsin, where a uh, teen has pleaded guilty to the 2018 rape of a woman in her home, as well as two unrelated robberies. And as it turns out, some of these crimes didn't have to take place. Uh, but the uh, 19-year-old, who was 16 when he was charged with the rape of a woman in her home, went on to uh, commit these uh, two robberies while he was free on bail in the rape case. Sir Amarian Tucker, yeah, his first name is Sir. Sir Amarian Tucker of Madison, Wisconsin, 
faces up to, probably won't get, 60 years of combined prison and extended supervision for the sexual assault conviction. He also pleaded guilty to the robbery in July of last year of a 77-year-old woman and another robbery that happened in May of last year. Both of those robberies carry up to 15 years combined of prison and supervision. A child pornography possession case against the uh, 19-year-old was dismissed as part of a plea agreement, along with the three other cases that charged him with felony bail jumping. Uh, According to Madison.com, Sir Tucker was originally charged in juvenile court with the 2018 sexual assault of a 43-year-old woman. But the case was transferred to adult court in May of 2019. There was a competency examination, but apparently it was delayed by COVID-19 protocols in the jail. So in March of last year, the circuit judge overseeing this case, Judge Everett Mitchell, agreed to reduce Tucker's bail, which was, I got to say, it was only $30,000 to begin with. So cash bail 10%, you're looking at $3,000 Tucker could have gotten out of, out of jail while uh, he awaited trial. But apparently that $30,000 of the 10% cash bond w- was too much for him. So the judge lowered his bail from $30,000 to $2,000, which means he only had to post $200 cash to get out of jail. He was able to do that. That was March of last year. And then May 29th of last year, a woman reported to police that she was robbed by a person claiming to have a gun who also struck her and demanded sex from her. And then in July of last year, a 77-year-old woman reported that she was robbed of her purse by somebody who punched her after she rolled down her car window. Tucker was charged with all of those incidents in June and August of last year. He was arrested in uh, July of last year. Now, again, he's taken this uh, guilty plea to several of these charges, faces up to 60 years in prison. Won't get it. Excuse me, 60 years in prison and supervised release. I'm guessing that uh, Sir Amarian Tucker, age 19, Probably going to do less than 10 years behind bars for these crimes. Sentencing has not yet taken place. But again, most of what he pled guilty to, he shouldn't have been able to commit those crimes. But he was because a judge lowered his bail to an obscenely small amount for somebody who is facing rape charges. And then let him walk away. Where he allegedly committed these robberies and an attempted sexual assault. Well, he was out on that egregiously low bond. Today's uh, armed citizen story from uh, Ohio, Trotwood, Ohio. Now, we don't have a lot of information here. This actually happened overnight. But uh, Trotwood police responded to this shooting around 1.45 in the morning. Uh, Trotwood Sergeant Kim DeLong said in a statement that the scene investigation revealed that the deceased male had fired a gun at the resident. The resident returned fire hitting the deceased multiple times. Now, according to uh, police calls, the uh, homeowner had reported shooting the suspect who had broken into their apartment. Uh, The shooting, the uh, second police responded to the city in less than five hours. Police say the uh, other two shootings uh, not related, but another one apparently was a defensive gun use. So you've had two defensive gun uses in Trotwood, Ohio, in the span of five hours because Wednesday night, Trotwood police responded to a shooting where someone was shot after they violated a protective order. And then a couple hours later, this intruder is shot by a uh, homeowner acting in self-defense. So it's pretty amazing. You know, we've, we've seen arguments in recent days that uh, self-defense never happens. The good guy with a gun is a myth. Well, he got two defensive gun uses. 
in a matter of hours in uh, a small town. 24,000 people. That's how many people live in Trotwood. It's a suburb of Dayton, Ohio. And again, two defensive gun uses in about a a five-hour period. It's pretty amazing. And the only reason why I know about both of those stories, by the way, is because the trigger was pulled in both of these incidents. The vast majority of defensive gun uses, of course, the trigger is never pulled. The presence of that firearm is enough to stop the crime from escalating any further. And we typically don't hear about it in the media. Uh, Individual may not even, uh, uh, you know, call the police and say, hey, here's what happened. But uh, for those who like to pretend that uh, defensive gun uses are a myth, talk to the Troutwood, Ohio Police Department. They'll tell you otherwise. Finally today, our good deed of the day. You know, I, I have a policy. It's, it's sort of an unspoken policy. If you've noticed, I've never talked about, in our good deed of the day, uh, officers administering Narcan saving people from fatal drug overdoses. A, we could cover those stories every day because it is so common. Um, But typically, you know, I I like to talk about things that are a little out of the ordinary, a little unusual. This is an unusual case, not in a good way, unfortunately. Jefferson County, Alabama, where thankfully an officer was in the right place at the right time and was able to do the right thing to save the life of a baby who may have overdosed on fentanyl. And that infant had to have Narcan uh, after uh, ingesting drugs. Witnesses on the scene there in Jefferson County, Alabama, informed deputies that the child had possibly ingested fentanyl, had certainly ingested illegal drugs, but they didn't know what it was. It could have been heroin, could have been fentanyl. And that she had been unresponsive for about 30 minutes. Deputies tried to resuscitate her by using Narcan, and it worked. She began to breathe slowly. Deputy Jordan uh, Agee says, I'm so grateful that Jefferson County started to carry Narcan. I'm happy that that tool in our belt, because like you said, you never know when you're going to be the first to respond to a situation. Uh, Agee's the officer who uh, actually administered the Narcan. Uh, He said uh, that the child was transported to local hospital. Last report in stable condition. Sheriff's office says the child's mom, 31-year-old Jeanette Lachey Bell, admitted that the child had accessed some of her drug paraphernalia and had ingested it. Uh, Department of Human Resources has been contacted to check on the welfare of the other children in the home. Deputy Agee says, I hope this situation was awakening to anyone that has substance abuse or anyone that has narcotics in, narcotics in their home, whether it is prescribed or unprescribed. Bell, meanwhile, has been charged with chemical endangerment of a child. She is being held in a $15,000 bond. And... Uh, I tell you what, I hope that that child has a uh, better rest of his life than the uh, than the, the first year of her life. Uh, and that um, mom is able to turn things around because that is no way to live, watching your child die and uh, hoping and praying that a uh, officer like Deputy Agee gets there in time. I'm glad in this case that he was able to do that. And uh, we thank him for his very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you, as always, for being a part of the program. Don't forget to check out the website, bearingarms.com. We are updating constantly throughout the day with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. We will be back on Monday when it's going to be November. And we're going to be a day away from Election Day. So you know what we're going to be talking about next Monday. Mm-hmm. And then the day after Election Day... 
Oral argument at the Supreme Court showdown over the right to carry. So next week's going to be a busy one and an important one for our right to keep and bear arms. Hope you'll be a part of it here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Have a great weekend. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free.